We come to now the time where we hear God speak to us through his word preached. And that passage that was read, it was from Luke 23, verse 25, right through to verse 43. As we come to hear God's word, let's pray and ask for his help. Our gracious God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that as Jesus went to the cross, there were words spoken that day for us to not just see the cross, but understand it. And not just understand it, but to believe in what Jesus is doing there is for us to save us. And so we pray this would be a moment in our lives where the gospel does again change everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good Friday this year is a little bit different, isn't it? Good Friday this year in 2020 is changed. It's changed because the coronavirus crisis has come. And that begs the question for us, you know, normally what is a, I guess, Good Friday celebration? For us as a church, a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. For us as a city of Bendigo and our region, often a time to perhaps get the family together this weekend and, and go down to the Bendigo Easter Festival, which is not happening. Or perhaps go camping or somewhere find a river, find some water, and just enjoy life and God's good gifts. But this Easter, this Good Friday, today, it's different, isn't it? It's very different. What has Good Friday got to say from the Bible about the days of difficulty we're in today? So the message of Good Friday, the message of Christ on his cross, What has that got to say to us today in these days of difficulty, days of social distancing, days of isolation even, if that is what is happening for you? Well, the cross, of course, the message of Good Friday, the message of the cross of Christ, originally the cross was not meant to be an inspiring event where we all took a holiday. The cross of Christ that day was not a day that people were ready to go camping as they left that cross, but they left to go mourning. See, the cross of Christ has much to say in days of darkness because when you see the cross of Christ, when you see Good Friday, the message of that is it's days of difficulty. In fact, the cross, when you look at it in Luke's gospel, is a dark day. It's a hard day. It's an awful day. The cross is kind of like, well, a demotivational poster. You know, the cross was um, not originally, you know, you see in jewellery often a cross or you see signs of a cross. Uh, and we see that today and it's meant to kind of inspire us in many ways or at least to its jewellery perhaps be, you know, good looking and pretty and, and, and shine. But we need to see that on Good Friday, that original Friday, the cross was not meant to be an inspiring symbol. It was meant to be a demotivating symbol, originally intended by the Romans to be so. Now, when I say demotivational symbol or poster, uh, you may or may not know what I'm talking about. Um, Back in the 90s and uh, kind of early 2000s, it was very popular to have those motivational posters around offices. I'm not sure if they're around these days or in workplaces and all sorts of places around. But, but back then it was very popular that you'd go to someone's workplace, you'd go into their office or perhaps you go into their vehicle or whatever it is and you see this motivational poster and it usually has some sort of mountains and an eagle and some sort of motivation for you and your work or whatever it is you need to be motivated in. 
Well, then someone thought, wouldn't it be funny to have demotivational posters? So you can look at these online. Some of them are great and some of them are not so great. I don't recommend a lot of Googling on it, but the demotivational posters are kind of a funny take on that. They're meant to demotivate you. You know, you're not going to have a good day at work today for various reasons. You're not an eagle and you're not near the mountains. Whatever it is on that demotivational poster. The cross of Christ that we look at now and we see what Jesus has done for us, we also need to see that for the day that Jesus dies on that cross, the symbol of a cross was actually originally intended to be a demotivational symbol, like a demotivational poster for the whole of the Roman Empire. You see, before the cross was a nice piece of jewellery, it was really a horrible way to die. In the days where Rome reigned, you didn't wear a cross around your neck. You wore it on your back. And that's what we see as we open this scene here in Luke 23, verse 26. You see, in verse 26, they're leading Jesus away. And as they're leading him away, there's a crowd around. And there's even people coming in from the country, coming into town. One of them is named Simon of Cyrene, which I think is a historical marker by Luke to say that these things that happened cannot be denied. So future historians in 2020... You could say that, that there were actually people there that could be asked when this document by Luke was written. You could ask Simon of Cyrene, did this really happen? Were you there? People could be asked like a journalist going to get the right news. Simon of Cyrene's a real person. He was really there and there's a real scene. But this real scene in history is really dark. And here we see what the crowd is seeing. What Simon of Cyrene is seeing as he comes in from the country to town that day, he sees, they see, an ordinary scene. It's not an ordinary scene for us, but for them, this is a very much ordinary scene. Awful and yet ordinary. Oh, the Romans are crucifying someone. That's what's going on. You can imagine as Simon is coming in from the country into town that day, perhaps to do the shops, uh, go to the shops, do some shopping and business. And what he sees is the Romans leading someone in procession to their death by crucifixion. He sees the demotivational poster of the Roman Empire, of the Roman world. See, the cross is meant to display originally to everyone by the Romans, you don't mess with us. You don't mess with us. You don't mess with the Roman Empire because we're in charge and you're not. And the cross is not just an instrument of execution, but it's execution by humiliation. The cross is a demotivational poster for anyone there to see that day, for you and I to see, that in a time when the whole world is focused on one virus for us, for the whole world to see that day, death comes by humiliation at Roman hands, by a cross. And this is a criminal's death. Of course, Jesus is not a criminal. If you've been reading Luke's Gospel up until now, you'll see as you thumb through the pages of Luke's Gospel, and, and it wouldn't take long if you sat down, perhaps this afternoon, even on this Good Friday, read Luke's Gospel, read the 23 chapters up until now. You, as you read Luke's Gospel, you see that Jesus is not a criminal. In fact, we read in Luke 23 verse 4, it's Pilate says to the chief priests who are accusing Jesus, he says, and to the crowds who are calling out for Jesus' blood, baying for his blood, Pilate says, who is the governor, who is the Roman judge of that province, he says, I find no guilt in this man. No guilt in him. 
Jesus has just been declared by this earthly Supreme Court judge as not guilty. Jesus doesn't do anything a criminal does. You look in Luke's gospel, look in their history. This is a historical document. He doesn't do anything a criminal does. He even obeys the authorities of the land by even going to a kangaroo court and willingly dying on a cross. Jesus is the only perfect man who ever lived in this very imperfect world. And it's got to make you ask this question on Good Friday. Why then does Jesus die on a cross? Why a criminal's death? Jesus knows his own innocence, but he willingly goes. Some even suspect his innocence, don't they? And they watch on. So when Jesus calls out to his Father in heaven, he says in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For God the Father knows the Son's innocence. He knows what they're doing is wrong. By and, large, the, by and large, you look at this crowd that's watching, they know that Jesus did nothing wrong. They know that Jesus did lots that's right. He cared for others. He healed others. He even saved others. And so they even then, in verse 35, start mocking him for that very fact. Verse 35, there's people standing by and watching, and the rulers, the religious rulers, well, they start mocking Jesus. The rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others! Let him save himself. Come on, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. But here is the incredible irony about Jesus on that cross. Do you see this? Jesus will not save himself because he is saving others. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is dying in the place of judgment. Not the poor judgment of the Romans. That's the, the cross's original intention and the, the criminal case that goes before Jesus, of course, is wrong and Pilate finds him guilty. He's, Jesus is not just dying in that place of judgment. And Jesus is not dying in the place of miscarried justice by the Jews. So if you read the whole of Luke's gospel, what do you see here? Jesus is dying on that cross because he's dying in a place of judgment that is God's judgment against sin on Jesus' shoulders. Throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus keeps explaining to his first followers, I'm going to die on a cross, suffer and die. And he's come to explain again and again, it's for sin. Jesus is dying to save. Jesus is dying for our sins. Jesus saves by dying in the place of even the religious rulers who mock him. Jesus saves by dying in the place of the Roman soldiers who mock him. Jesus saves by dying in the place of people like you and I who have ignored him or who have been living against him or who haven't cared much thought to him at all until we start thinking about our own death and wonder what's next, who's in control. Is there someone that's been to death and back that would know? Jesus got judged to death on a cross instead of us. Do you see? He received what we deserve. He died for our sins that we can be forgiven by God, forgiven free and have forever new life to come. The cross is not just an instrument by the Romans, a demotivational poster to say, don't mess with us. No, the cross of Christ is the place of judgment to death where Jesus got judged instead of us. I pray at this point 
that you see clearly who Jesus is and you see clearly now what the cross is about. That you would spend the short time you have this afternoon reading all of Luke's gospel. As you come to chapter 23, you would see who Jesus is and you would see this innocent man and you would ask why. Why does he do this for you and me? That you would see Jesus, his God's son, the one who has come to receive the judgment of God against sin that is just, that I deserve, that you deserve. He's come to take that himself for you, for me. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the chosen one. Religious rulers who are mocking him for that. He is the chosen one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the King. He is the one who saves others. And Jesus saves us by dying for sins on the cross. You see, the cross is meant to be that demotivational poster, isn't it? That symbol of execution by humiliation, of judgment and death. But God literally picks it up and he says, that's how I save the world. The cross is how God is saving the world. That's how I so love the world, is that I come and die on a cross for you. That's how I'm saving you. Jesus says. Where the Romans show the world that they're boss with a cross, God takes the cross and says, I have good news. In a world of bad news, God is the boss of the world, not the Romans. God has come to save the world by going down in humility. God in flesh and Jesus Christ, the boss who comes to save those who come to him. That's the good news of Jesus this Friday. That's the gospel. So what about Good Friday 2020? What about this Good Friday? The message of the cross, this horrible object of execution by humiliation is now used by God to save. Where God's judgment meets God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Where you deserve judgment, but you get mercy because Jesus gets the judgment instead of you. That's a wonderful message. That's gospel. Where the Roman media at the time was cross means demotivation. The word gospel is a media word too, and it means good news. That's good news for you. It's good news for me. But here's that question again. What about this Good Friday? Is that message got something to say in our time of social isolation? Well, yes, of course it has. The Bible has everything to say about life, whatever life comes. And this Good Friday, the cross has even a more magnified message for us in this time of social isolation. On Tuesday night, I was putting my boys to bed and, and we have kind of a routine, a rhythm that we do every night. And so we have uh, a time of um, milk and books. We drink little cups of milk. We read books. We read some Bible. And then we clean our teeth and, and we go to bed. And as we go to bed, I've introduced a couple of things that now I can't seem to get rid of, like... We always have to have uh, usually a Star Wars story or an Iron Man story. They've never even seen Iron Man or Star Wars, but somehow they know about it and I tell them a little story that involves them. And Anyway, the point of all telling you all this is this. The other night, Tuesday night, it got interrupted because my six-year-old knocks. And he says, um, Dad, I'm sad. And I said, we all stopped our story. And I said, why are you sad, Knox? And he says, because of coronavirus, Good Friday can't happen. I said, what do you mean it can't happen? He said, we can't get together as a church. And I said, yeah, I'm sad too, Knox. I'm sad too. 
But said Knox, on Good Friday, we still remember that Jesus came into a world of sadness to die for our sinners, didn't he? He said, yeah, that's right. That's right. So whilst we don't get to gather as a church, whilst we don't get to enjoy the good things of Bendigo this Easter, we do still get to bask in the glory of the cross of Christ, in what he's done for us. Today, we don't get, we don't get to be together. We might feel more isolated because our routine and rhythm is out of place now. But today, Good Friday, the gospel is still good news and the gospel still changes everything, even in our social isolation. And that's why I want us to spend just a few moments looking at the last part of this passage and seeing how that happens. The last part of this passage really does help us in our social isolation. I want to focus on the, the two criminals there at the end. Is there are two criminals being crucified with Jesus, one on his left and one on his right. These criminals have been crucified. You know, at this point, it's not going well for them either, is it? So they've been crucified. Jesus has been crucified. They're part of this event, this demotivational poster to the rest of the world. Don't mess with the Roman Empire. But as they've been crucified, one of them starts mocking Jesus as well. He rails at him, we read. He's having a real hard go at Jesus. He's hurling insults. Now, perhaps he's doing this because it's really painful to be on that cross. And perhaps he's hurling insults. He's just angry at Jesus and he's frustrated. And he says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But isn't that a picture of our world sometimes? As agonizing as life can be. We know that there are people that have always experienced the plague of death around the world. Now, we've lived in comfort for the most part in Australia, here in Bendigo. But when, when it comes hard and there's days of difficulty, do we turn to God in trust? Or do we turn to Him and instead hurl insults? Some of us go to our death rebellious, and we could actually see that the opportunity is not to be rebellious to our death, but it's actually to see death coming for you and me as an opportunity to repent. You see, God is using our short lives and he's waiting for the final day of judgment. In fact, he's holding, we read in Peter's letter, for the final day of judgment. He's withholding it because he's patient, because he's waiting for you and I to turn back to him, to repent, to turn to him in trust, not turn to him with hurling insults and rebellion and anger. You see, with the possibility now, with sickness and death being all the more possible for you and I, now is not the time to rail against Jesus. Now is the time to repent and return to God, turn to Jesus. There is another criminal, of course, who's not hurling insults at Jesus. The other criminal, of course, is not innocent, He's not like Jesus. He is a criminal. He is justly dying for what he's done. He's justly in that system of Roman law facing crucifixion. You don't get crucified for stealing a loaf of bread. You go to the cross for murder or treason. Such a crime gets a cross. And there's good evidence to suggest that these crims were the equivalent in that time and place of terrorists. So here we have a terrorist-type criminal 
one hurling insults and another terrorist-type criminal, the other one, instead of shaking his fist at God, he rebukes the other criminal. Luke 23, verse 40, where the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he turns to Jesus, and he said, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man is saying to Jesus, I know who you are. You are the king of the Jews. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power to save. You deserve glory and not judgment. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the chosen one. I know you who you are. I deserve this. Could you remember me somehow? When you're in paradise and I'm in punishment in hell, here is someone who knows his own sin. And he knows he doesn't deserve being saved. But in that moment, he touches on something called grace. He gets that he doesn't deserve saving. Whereas the other criminal still has his... his uh, The other criminal still has, even to his own death, a little bit of self-righteousness... He says, you've got to do something for me, Jesus. You've got to do something for me. This man says, I don't deserve for you to save me. Could you remember me? And then do you hear Jesus reply? And imagine this criminal's undeserving as he is. Hear this. Jesus says to him in verse 43, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here he gives this man an eternal lifetime guarantee. You'll be with me in paradise. Now, this criminal is not named here. He'll die alongside with Jesus in that day, just like the other criminal does. Yet he gets new life forever. Whenever I read this passage, I always think to myself, I'm going to meet that guy. If you trust in Jesus, you're going to meet this guy. Isn't that a wonderful thought? What does this mean for our time of isolation? Because when you look at that criminal on the cross, when you look at him as he turns to Jesus, you're actually looking at someone who is the most socially isolated of his day. You can't be more socially isolated than hanging in humiliation in execution on a cross. How does it help us in our social isolation? I think it helps us because we see everything he's been taught up until now, he needs, he needed and it comes together for his salvation in that moment. See, I used to think that this criminal who gets paradise, who gets who Jesus is in this moment, I used to think that this guy must have just somehow sort of specially just got it in that moment. It just, you know, just all of a sudden, uh, perhaps it was a, a moment where spiritually uh, Jesus opened his mind, like we see in Luke 24, he opens the disciples' minds. And he just turned to this guy and just opened his mind so he understood everything in that moment. I used to think that. But it's not what the text says. And if, if God's word wanted to say that's what happened, we would have that explained. I think there's actually something else happening in the background of this criminal's life that's incredibly encouraging for us in our lives and even in our social isolation. And what helped me was particularly a scholar a few years ago, Carl Truman, uh, you can look him up, he's a Presbyterian historical scholar, but 
he actually shows what's probably really going on in the background here. And I'm convinced he's right. You look at this criminal. This criminal is someone who had been taught the things of God, it seems. See, this criminal perhaps um, was catechized, was, was taught about God. In our services, usually we have, except for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, but you'll see on our on- online services even, we have the New City Catechism for kids. So every year it's got 52 questions, and the New City Catechism, the word catechize means to teach. This teaching, we, we teach our kids, our children in our church community, questions with answers. So, so the, the question, the most famous one most people remember is, uh, what is the chief purpose of of man or humanity, and that our chief purpose as humans is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And children are taught this. So when they grow up, they know good theology. They know what the Scriptures are saying about God, and they're, they're learning God. They're being a disciple, a little disciple that grows into a bigger disciple, an older disciple. You see, a disciple means learner. That's what the word means. And we want to see little disciples learn about God. That's what catechism does. When you look at this criminal, I think he didn't just get it together in one moment, especially about who Jesus is. I think he was catechized. I think that he was catechized, he was taught by believing community. Perhaps he was once discipled by dad and mum. Look at his understanding, look at his theology. First, he says to the other criminal, don't you fear God? In other words, he does, he fears God. How does he know about God? Even as he agonizes in his death, Notice this, it's not earthly death that he fears. And even as he perishes under God's judgment, he knows he deserves it, that he is not good and God is good. So that he understands he deserves to die, and like any other cream, he deserves it. But unlike the other criminal that day, who's hurling insults, this criminal also knows he's got no self-righteous to bring. And yet he sees Jesus on the cross... And he sees Jesus is the righteous one. How does it help us? I think firstly it helps us as parents and it helps us as a church. In social isolation we're still having the kids talks and the catechism and we're doing those things but it can sometimes feel like the load for parents now is like extra high. In our series of Reforming Online, I wanted to, when we did, we spoke into singles' lives and your self-isolation or your social isolation at this time. It can be really hard for single people. But just for a moment, I want to speak in this moment from this text as we apply it into the lives of families. Like many people, I think this criminal grew up in a believing home. And this criminal was taught things about God. They're perhaps once part of a, a, a church, a believing community, a synagogue, and their parents prayed for them. But it's a familiar and sad story, isn't it? So for parents, for families in reforming church, perhaps you're older parents and you have older grown-up kids, this has been a familiar and sad story for many of us, but I think there's hope in this story. You see, many a familiar and sad story goes like this criminal story, perhaps. Grew up in a believing home, but then grew up to rebel against their parents. They fell into the wrong friendship circles, the wrong crowd, the petty crimes. It's just the small stuff first, you know, just some alcohol and drugs. And, but then these addictions lead to stealing and stealing leads to bigger things. And the wrong crowd becomes the worst crowd. And eventually perhaps leads to murder for this man who ends up on a cross. But now this man looks across the small distance between him and Jesus. 
and everything this man learnt from his parents, from his believing community, from his kids' church teachers, everything he's learnt as a little disciple, everything he's wanted to ignore his whole life is now coming together in this moment of biblical theology as he looks at Jesus on that cross. All the Old Testament law, the prophets, the writings, the Psalms, all come together in his mind in this moment as he looks to Jesus, the innocent one, the suffering servant, the one who is dying on a cross, the one who is pierced for our transgressions. He looks and he sees Jesus and he says, I know who you are. Finally, I get it. I know you who you are. I've been awful. I've been foolish, I've been sinful, and I do not deserve to be saved by you. Will you remember me? And there, in that moment, is Jesus, full of grace and mercy and compassion and love, who turns to him when it seems all is lost and his life is lost, when it seems even his eternity is lost. It is Jesus who extends to him the grace of God to an undeserving sinner and says to him, By grace, you today will be with me in paradise. You know you don't deserve it. That's the point. I come with grace and forgiveness. Do you see? In our social isolation, our families are going to be under so much pressure. Lots of pressures around. In our social isolation, some of us with grown up children will be wondering, could I have done more and said more and taught more? Jesus says, if you've taught them the things of God, God can take that. And no matter it be now or later, but in now, in the time we live in now, there's lots of pressures on people, even grown-up disciples. Lots of people are asking questions about God. And it may be that God is going to use what you've taught your children who've grown up now and living their own lives to actually think about the things of God. And this Good Friday, look at Jesus on that cross again and say, maybe he would remember me in my time of isolation. And we pray that Jesus would go to them with grace. Grace that they would see and believe and hold on to and trust in him. We need to see in our social isolation that Jesus is with us. He's not distant from us. And now is the time to turn to him. If you've been taught that growing up, who Jesus is, now is the time to turn to him and believe him who he is. And for our children at this time, if you've got little children in your homes, in our church community, discipling our children at this time can be extra hard because, well, it's the end of school holidays and school goes back and some of us school will mean we are going back to school and some of us we won't. And it's going to be hard making decisions, but also hard discipling. Discipling in social isolation is difficult. And now is the time. Now is the time to teach them the things of God. It's not in vain. It's not in vain, even if you think they're not listening, even if you think they don't quite get it. Now is the time to teach them, to show them, to model in your own life. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve saving. But Jesus came to save me from my sins. He stayed on that cross so I don't have to go to judgment. To show your kids that, yeah, daddy's sorry for my sin. Mommy's sorry for my sin. But Jesus came to save me too. Our kids' New City Catechism, question one is, what is our only hope in life and death? 
We started that at the start of the year, the catechism. What is our only hope in life and death? And our children can now grow up knowing this Good Friday, what is their only hope in life and death? Jesus who saves them. Children learn a lot of things in life, but the one thing they'll learn that matters when their life evaporates away, the only thing that's going to matter that they learn in life, that is in the day of their death, they have their hope in Jesus Christ. You can learn a lot of things in life too. You can be a grown-up person. You can learn a lot of things in life, read a lot, watch a lot, but the only thing that really matters in life that you learn is that Jesus is your Saviour. This is so encouraging for us as we disciple children in moments where it feels like it just doesn't matter. When moments when death comes, it will all be that matters. Parents, you cannot save your child, but you can teach them about the Saviour. And those people around the world and all over Bendigo who got a whole lot of time on your hands right now and a whole lot of internet in front of you, for you, I'm so glad you ended up here somehow online and clicked on this message. This message of grace is for you. That Jesus has come to save you from your sin. Whatever sin that is, whatever crime, Jesus got judged instead of you if you would just trust him, turn to him, believe in him. We've been given grace in Jesus Christ and now we live grateful lives this Good Friday. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your Son who came to save us from our sins. We pray we would trust him. We pray that you would help us. We're asking you to help us to disciple one another, make disciples of one another, make little disciples of the children in our church community. And we pray, keep extending your grace to others around that they could become your disciples too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.